You're listening to Echo Zoe Radio, episode 40 for August 2011, with guest Robert Bactell on the case for a biblical worldview. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio. I'm your host, Andy Olson, proprietor of EchoZoe.com. This is episode 40 for August 2011, and my guest this month is my friend Robert Bactel. Robert recently led two adult Sunday school sessions at Twin City Fellowship and discussed the case for a biblical worldview, focusing on how that worldview informs our views on our origins. I invited Robert to come and discuss that topic with me for this episode. Before we get started, I wanted to talk about a few of the things usually saved for the end of an episode. Since this is episode number 40, you can find it at echozoe.com slash 40. There you'll find show notes for the episode, including an outline of what we discussed, a list of scripture references for the show, and additional resources, which include the Sunday school that inspired this interview. I also want to let you know that I'd love to get your feedback. Comments are open at the website for 90 days. You can email me at podcast at echozoe.com. You can follow Echo Zoe on Twitter at, at Echo Zoe, and Echo Zoe is on Facebook as well. Because the link is not as easy to share verbally, the best way to find the Facebook page is by going to echozoe.com slash Facebook, and you'll be forwarded to the Facebook page. If you're on Google+, you can even find my profile by going to gplus.to slash Andy Olson. That's G-P-L-U-S dot T-O slash Andy O-L-S-O-N. You can add me to your circles, but also let me know because I have a circle set up uh, on my account just for listeners of Echo Zoe, where I post Echo Zoe specific posts. All of this and how to sign up for email alerts for the new episode is at the website. With all of that out of the way, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Robert. Welcome, Robert. It's uh, great to have you here and pleasure to have a, another friend come back in and do a podcast. It's great to be here, Andy. So. Thank you been doing uh interviews with some of the kind of the more nationally known guys the last few months and stuff and it's i always have fun doing different types of stuff it's always fun to get a, a friend back in the studio with me and yeah well like a subject that thank you for inviting me yeah Appreciate I, it. I, i'm really looking forward to this because you know the the fun thing about doing with friends is we can just be a little more informal and, and chit chat a little bit and i like it have a little more fun with it in in a different sort of way but um so today we're talking about the, the importance of a biblical worldview. That's correct. In relation to a young earth creationist. Uh, okay. View. And uh, so why don't we just get started and, and let's kind of give a little background for this. You, you did this as a Sunday school at a sure. church. And you, this is a, a series that you did, a short series on. Yeah, on, it was a two-part uh, series. And uh, the first part is basically an introduction to the topic of, you know, why a proper worldview matters and really... When you look at old earth versus young earth, that's not really where the battle lies. It really comes down to having a proper worldview. And are we going to accept uh, what the Word of God says and accept the authority of the Bible when it comes to matters of our beginning? That's Mm -hmm. really where it's at, is do we believe what God has said? So um, we're, we're kind of basing this interview on, on the series you did. And, of course, uh, I'll just say up front, in, in the show notes, under the additional resources, we'll have links to, to the series you did on the Twin City Fellowship website. So for if, you, if we get through this whole thing and our listeners enjoy it, uh, you can check out uh, the whole series that you did. Mm-hmm. Was it two hours? I, yeah, it was uh, basically um, two different uh, Sunday schools. An hour each, yeah. Yeah, approximately an hour each. That's okay. correct. Yeah. Well, let's start out with kind of like the the foundation of this is is the importance of the worldview, and uh, you've got an article there that you brought with that kind of explains what the debate really is about. Yeah, I I took this from uh, the Answers in Genesis website. Ken Ham published this back in uh, the late '90s, and uh, I think he captured um, this you know debate very well. And, and you know he talks about how we're 
always characterized as young earthers, you know, mm-hmm. unquote. And uh, there's a, a supposed battle line that is that is drawn. You know, you're either a young earther or you're an old earther. Which camp mm-hmm. are you in, mm-hmm. right? And, and this is just among Christians, right? There's people that, yes. that, that believe in creation. This is the battle among creationists. Yeah. Is what you're getting at. Yeah, I, I mean, it's... You got your Hugh Ross versus your Ken Ham kind of thing. Right. And uh, it's like these supposed battle lines have been drawn. Mm-hmm. And, and Ken is, is uh, making a case and saying, look, you know... Uh, when it comes to having a proper worldview, we don't want to be known primarily, he says in his article here, as young earth creationists, okay? Really, our emphasis needs to be biblical authority, okay? Believing in a relatively young earth really is only a a consequence of accepting the authority of the Word of God. Mm -hmm. So it's really a hermeneutical question, then? It really is. It's really what it comes down to. Matter of fact, it says here in the article, you know, he sat down one time with a very well-respected, world-class Hebrew scholar. And he, he was very candid with the gentleman. He sat down and, and asked him this question. He says, now look, if you start with the Bible alone without considering any outside influences whatsoever, could you ever come up with millions or billions of years of history for the earth and the universe? Mm-hmm. And you know what the answer was from the scholar? I'd be shocked if he said that he could come up with billionaires. He said, absolutely not. You know, let, let's really be honest. You know, you take out your Bible, mm-hmm. you look through it, you can't find any hint at all for millions or billions of years. It's actually reading into the text when you try to do that, and the the principle is, is eisegesis. That's the fancy term. You're actually reading into the text where uh, proper hermeneutic is where we want to practice exegesis, where we let the author determine the meaning of the text, and then that uh, becomes our interpretation, and it becomes our authority. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think when we start talking hermeneutics and eisegesis, exegesis, oftentimes we get fingers pointed in both directions. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to accuse old earthers of, of eisegesis. Might they also turn that back and say, well, from their point of view, we're the ones eisegeting? I think, you know, with this, Andy, you know, you really have to be completely honest yeah. with yourself and, and completely honest with the, the text. And I guess I've seen enough debates uh, on this topic where you, you really need to dig into what is actually being said, what's being communicated in, in the scripture, what is the meaning of the word day, mm-hmm. uh, and what are the different meanings that it's found, you know, in Scripture, in context? Does this mean uh, just a literal 24-hour day? Uh, does it mean maybe, you know, the light portion of a day, like a 12-hour portion? Mm-hmm. Or does it refer to uh, an age of time? All those things are determined by the context. Context, yeah. And so we have to go in, and when we read the different texts in Genesis, for instance, and, and by the way, in the first, like, uh, just two chapters of Genesis, you have all three different meanings are found there. Uh, you have a 24-hour day, you have a 12-hour period, and you also have a period of time. And you can see very clearly that context determines meaning. I'm sure people understand these this different ways of, of uh, using the word day. Let's just give examples just in case somebody's thinking, you know, a day's a day, what are you talking about? You know? Sure. You know, I guess I think of, you know, first off, I mean, how many days... Like, uh, the, the, the light portion of a, of a day. Yeah, like um, normally we work in, in the daytime, mm-hmm. okay? So you're, you're not referring to a, com- a complete 24-hour day. Right. You're referring to the, the portion of the day where you're working, Okay, mm-hmm. so you could As say opposed that, to the nighttime. Yeah, um, that might be one usage. You could say, how long did it take you to, uh, you know, finish off the shed? Well, it took me approximately 15 days. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you're talking about 15, 24-hour time periods, right? When you say Two 15 days. Day, yeah. yeah, and then the third usage is referring to back in time, or remember like in that day yeah. when we used to do this, we used to think of like an old an old man saying, 
in my day. Right, back in the day. Kids didn't wear their we, pants we with their, yeah, you know, we didn't their lock underwear the car. showing. <laughs> right. <laughs> we never have to use, we never did lock the house up mm-hmm. uh, back in that day. So that's, you know, referring to a time period. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd like to maybe jump into the text and. Well, and yeah, we can... that's. I mean, it's good that you set that up like that because that that kind of leads us into some of the theories then that we have on, on on the six days of creation. You've got. Yeah, when you look at uh, the different theories that are out there, you have like the day age theory. You have the gap theory, and, and again, when you really examine these different theories, you're you're really reading into the text long periods of time. And again, if you're practicing a a proper hermeneutic, you're looking at a proper, you know, grammatical, historical interpretation. You're letting the author determine the meaning and you're you're making a proper application or what's being said to to our time period. I mean, let's face it, uh, the Bible was not written to us, necessarily. It was written to a people in a specific culture at a specific point in time. And Mm -hmm. so we need to know a little bit about this culture. We need to know a little bit about the language and so that we can apply what is being said to, you know, us here in the uh, 21st century. Mm Mm-hmm. No, I, I apologize. We were uh, we're, we're kind of skipping ahead, but we, you wanted to talk about. You had a great example in in your discussion of worldview that I want to back up a little bit and get back into this worldview before we proceed sure. on on the day thing and and getting into creation. But the importance of the worldview. You had an illustration that you wanted to share of how our worldview will cloud our judgment. Yes. Yeah, it was uh, an illustration I, I borrowed from um, a uh, Answers in Genesis publication. And um, he used the example of going to a magic show. Let us imagine we find ourselves at this show, and we witness a man making his assistant disappear. Very, very simple illustration. And we, we witness the event without any sleight of hand, but know from our worldview, or really our understanding of the reality around us, mm-hmm. that you know when he does this trick, it's only a sleight of hand. It's only a trick. Okay, there's something going on behind the scenes that we're not seeing, okay, but it's making us believe it really happened. Mm-hmm. Okay, So let's say we bring along with us a young child who witnesses the same event. We're both right there. We see the same thing. And let's say this young person doesn't have enough experience or understanding to know that, in reality, it's impossible to make someone disappear. We'll say that's the trick. Okay. So the young child witnesses the same magic trick, same magic trick, but yet comes away from the show actually believing the magician's assistant actually disappeared. Okay? Mm-hmm. So when you step back from that, you know, just for a moment and examine the story, notice how our worldview, okay, having a proper worldview, prevented us from drawing a wrong conclusion. Even though we both witnessed the same event. We both saw the same event and yet came away with entirely different conclusions about what really happened. So in one sense, our worldview prevents us from being objective and and open-minded about certain things or, or events, we can say. But in another sense, it actually helps us to actually perceive what we see and experience around us. Okay, In the case of the magic trip, Okay, it actually helped us come to the correct conclusion because we were unwilling to consider the possibility that the person really vanished. We know that that, that just can't happen. Mm-hmm. I believe having a correct worldview can help one come to correct conclusions about our worldview, just as an incorrect worldview can, can actually prevent someone coming to correct conclusions. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, the Bible does claim to be the authoritative Word of God, okay? So we kind of jumped the gun a little bit. We were talking about uh, different views of the Scripture. Yes. uh, Old Earth versus Young Earth and stuff. But before we even get to that debate, we have to get past the other debate, which is, are we created or did we happen by accident? Kind of a 
creation versus evolution debate. Let's talk a little bit about that worldview difference that is going on between the creationist and the evolutionist. Okay. Yeah, that, that's a great point, Andy, because I think that uh, on, on the one hand, there, there's a debate in Christian circles, and you're asking now a question about, well, what about um, you know creation versus evolution? What about the Christian worldview versus maybe a evolutionist's worldview on, on, on our origins? Okay, And uh, there, I, I think it's a little more black and white, if you will. Mm-hmm. The, the atheist is someone who doesn't believe there is a God. Okay? Now, of course, you know, the Bible teaches that uh, only a fool says that there is no God. And uh, if we go to, um, you know, the book of Romans, I believe in the first chapter, it talks about, you know, just by what we can see around us, you know, paraphrasing, okay? God made it clear to us. God made it clear. And that man is really without excuse. Mm-hmm. That all we have to do is look at God's... Uh, his invisible attributes. We know that what what we see around us what was made by God by mm-hmm. what we see. Right. You you do a lot of evangelism one on one with people. Uh, different universities seem to be one of your favorite places to go. Yes. But a university is a place where you're going to run into a lot of people who are going to hold to that materialistic worldview. Mm-hmm. So wh- how do you get through that? fail with them? How do you get past what Romans 1 is trying to say so that you can begin to share the gospel with that person? Sure. If they want to argue a, kind of a materialism and an evolutionism with you before yeah. they allow you to get that evangelistic foot in the door. That's a great question. Essentially what we try to do is allow them to maybe think really for themselves the thought that you know God can exist in this in this universe, okay? And I and I think first and foremost we point to our universe around us, okay? And and to draw a very simple illustration, we'll look up at maybe one of the campus buildings around us and say, you know what? If I came to you with uh, a far-fetched story like this, hey, you see that building? That just all of a sudden appeared over millions of years. There was a brickyard. There was a glass shop. There was some tornadoes and winds that came through over a long period of time. And this building just appeared over time. Now, if if I told you that was how that building got there, what would you think of that story? And you know, most of the time we get people say, look, that's, that's ludicrous. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's ridiculous. And I say, okay, well, look, if that is a far-fetched story how more far-fetched is is that if you look at the human body for instance and just say that that just came by chance and random processes over time Mm -hmm. your body is much more complex than a building you know examine things like blood clotting Mm -hmm. or eyesight they're very complex systems, and if you try to take away just one protein or enzyme, okay, away from that equation, um, the whole, the whole process up. collapses. Yeah. So what you, what we try to do is establish the fact that because there's a there's a creation, mm-hmm. there has to be a creator. Right. Okay. Just you know because there's a building. Okay. You know you didn't see this happen, but. You know that there was an architect, there was plans drawn up, um, there was a bill of material that was put together, the material was ordered, and uh, then the construction company came and, and built this building. There was intelligence behind that building going up. But you never saw any of that. No, you don't need it. The building is proof of the builder. Yeah. So because there's a creation, we know that there's a creator. Mm-hmm. And that's what we try to establish with uh, the, the people that we talk to on, on the campus. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that's really the, the, the starting point. And if, if they can see that in the marketplace of ideas that the possibility of God exists, we can invite them to say, look, 
let's do this. Come just for a moment. Step into our world for a moment. And let's say there is a God, that he does exist, and that the Bible is true. It's almost you're inviting them to maybe change their their worldview for a moment mm-hmm. and then answer some questions based on that worldview. And, and that's how we can then start talking about Kinda sin, the law, and the gospel. Kind of peeling the layers of the onion away. Yes, exactly. Because again, deep down inside, if people are really honest with themselves, they know that God exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talk a little bit in your uh, in your Sunday school about the the absolute commitment that some of these scientific types will have to their worldview and and how that worldview rather than being shaped by the evidence they see the the worldview shapes how they see the evidence you had a quote here by by a guy who kind of let the horse out of the barn in regards to exposing his worldview yes you're referring to a gentleman his name is uh, professor uh, richard lewington he's a uh, geneticist and a self-proclaimed marxist actually and happens to be one of the world's leader in uh, world leaders in evolutionary biology. He gave a quote a number of years ago that uh, I think illustrates plainly what what I would call a, a philosophical bias that's actually against a biblical worldview, regardless of whether or not the facts even support it. Mm-hmm. Okay? So here is, uh, here's this quote. We take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs. In spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just-so stories, because we have a prior commitment, he says, a commitment to materialism. It is not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world or how we perceive by our senses or through our immediate experience what is around us. Okay, that's what that that term means, phenomenal world. Mm -hmm. But on the contrary, that we are forced by our a priori adherence to material causes to create an apparatus of investigation and a set of concepts that produce material explanations, no matter how countercultural, or no matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated. Moreover, that materialism is an absolute, for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. Unquote. So that's just amazing that he would. It's only natural. Human nature says that somebody who who thinks that way is eventually going to say something. But it's just amazing that they would do so. I mean, yeah, that when, they would be so honest. He's he's very straightforward. You know, when he uses the term materialism, I think it's important to point out that he's actually referring to a a belief system claiming that physical matter is the only reality. Okay, and that all processes we observe in the world, all living organisms, or even phenomena we don't quite understand, have to be explained by only interactions of that matter. All right, so I think what you see here clearly from this example that Professor Lewington and others like him are clearly committed to their cause. Mm-hmm. And when you take the side of naturalism, what happens is you leave out any chance of supernatural occurrences happening. Okay, There is no supernatural realm in, in that worldview. Mm-hmm. God is is completely left out of the picture. Now, now, I want to play a little bit of devil's advocate in that you and I are equally committed to a worldview. Sure. But the difference between us is that it's, it's hard to find a young earth creationist who's a Christian believer that doesn't admit it up front. I mean, I, I'm going to tell you I'm a Christian. I'm going to tell you that I believe the Bible is the Word of God. And, I, and I'm going to tell you that I don't understand the world in, entirely in all its processes and all its ways. Sure. And so I will lean on the Scripture 
Sure. Because since I believe the creator wrote it, I figure if he can make it and he can tell us how he made it, that that's seems that's a pretty good starting point in my opinion. Okay. Let's start with what he says he did. I mean, he, he talked to Job. You read Job, he talks, where, where were you when I created the world? Yes. <laughs> you know. Good point. And, and that's, that's kind of... Nobody th- was there in the beginning except right. God himself. Right. Yeah. And science is interesting. I think science can be fun. But I don't rule out that because somebody used a scientific method and came up with a certain conclusion that that's necessarily the authority. Mm-hmm. But likewise, like I'm saying, you know, I, I, I'm committed to my, my creationism, mm-hmm. you know, and I, th- I think the difference though is, is like I said, like, you know, we're, we're going to be honest about it. Right. And let me, let me, uh, say something, uh, at this point too, I want to be clear is that, you know, we as, as believers, we as Christians believe in the scientific method. Okay. Right. What we have difficulty with are the assumptions that go into those equations I think that's where a lot of misunderstanding comes from because it seems like when we talk about uh, evidences for, you know, a young earth, people immediately will jump and say, well, you don't believe in science. See, that's (laughs) not necessarily true. That's not true at all. Okay. That's why I appreciate, I want to get into some of that stuff kind of towards the end of our discussion. You've got some awesome stuff that I've always enjoyed in, in my entire Christian walk. Whenever I encounter creationism and, and a creationist argument, I always love getting giving into those evidences and and kind of exposing things that you're not going to hear about in your government school science class. I mean, those things just—it's really a thrill for me. I, I just mm-hmm. love—I love going through that stuff. And we'll get to that before I let you go. But in the meantime, I, you know, I want to keep hashing out this worldview stuff. Sure. But um, but you're right. You know, we're not opposed to science. Science is a method of of understanding the universe around us. It's not. It's not uh, a worldview in and of itself. Yeah, one of the things, too, when we talk about materialism, I think I think it's interesting that, like Professor Lewington, when he uses that term, all that we see around us, the origin, including the origin of which, has to be explained only by interactions of that mm-hmm. matter. Okay, so just for a minute, contrast that belief with what, the Word of God says, okay? Uh, I'll use uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. And uh, this is um, the um, letter to the Hebrews in chapter 11, the faith chapter. The writer starts out talking about, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, in verse 1, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. Now, here comes verse 3. It says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think I'm a pretty typical Christian. I'm an average Christian, and sometimes I have a problem kind of isolating verses. I mean, you can read a chapter... Mm -hmm. But even reading the whole chapter, you oftentimes have a, a problem isolating one verse from the next one. Mm-hmm. But I really like how you juxtaposed first explaining what faith is. Yes. And then explaining that it's by faith that we understand the world. The earth was created in six days. When I've read through that chapter in Hebrews, I've always isolated those verses in my mind. And it's 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 fun for me to have you read that like that and mm-hmm. and make that effort in my own mind to not isolate those two verses. Yes. It makes a difference when you do read a passage in, in context. Mm-hmm. And when you, you think about this in in contrast to the evolutionists' worldview, it's just the opposite. Mm-hmm. See, what they're, what they're saying is that we're trying to determine how things were made by what we can see. The Bible's saying... By faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made by things we can't out of see, things right, yeah. that are visible. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we need to to see these opposites almost, if you will, mm-hmm. or worldviews that are very, very different mm-hmm. when we contrast um, someone from a, 
I was looking at the universe from a materialistic perspective versus someone who's looking at it from a universe which was created by God mm-hmm. and was created for a purpose. And people find meaning from that. And I think that we have to keep these extremes in mind because that's really what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a big gap there. So let's let's just kind of, uh, just for the sake of time, let's just assume that we're going to agree that the universe was created. We're going to get past the, the evolution versus creation debate. Mm-hmm. And, and just move back into what we were, we kind of jumped into a little bit too quickly at the beginning, back into the the different debates that go on within uh, the Christian community and among people who who do agree that we were created, but might have disagreements as to, you know, how we were created or, or you know, what the, the machinations of that or um, the time frame. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, there we, we just have to go back to uh, Genesis 1, and, you know, at the beginning of you know, my first uh, uh, Sunday school presentation, we basically just read right through the creation account, uh, Genesis 1-1, and then, you know, on into uh, chapter 2. Mm-hmm. And just read it in a, a straightforward manner and let the text, as we talked about with the proper her- hermeneutic, let the text determine the meaning. And mm-hmm. when you do that without any outside influence, a, a different picture emerges. Yeah. Well, okay, we discussed the, the fundamental worldview that would lead an evolutionist to be dedicated to his worldview and to allow the evidence to be clouded by that worldview. What would you say is clouding, you know, we're young Earth, so we would agree that we believe that old Earthers have their worldview clouded in some way, even though they're believers, what is it that you think is clouding that worldview? You know, that's an interesting question because, um, you know, when I look at some of these, I guess what I think of first of all is that when people look to the scientific community, no matter who you are, an authority figure in this area, okay, of maybe of origins, let's say, there's a certain level of intimidation when someone who might be a a doctorate, you know, or might have their doctorate, very learned individual. They might have uh, several doctorate degrees, let's say, and when they come up and say, "Look, we know that the Earth, you know, was created in billions of years or something," very authoritative, and mm-hmm. and they dogmatically say this, and it comes from multiple areas it might come through television it might come through newspaper come through media magazine internet all these different outlets are all saying the same thing Mm -hmm. i think a lot of people because they don't have a background in science they may feel a little bit of an intimidation there um they're thinking to themselves you know what we got to figure out a way to kind of make the bible fit with what these Experts are saying. It's kind of a worldview by consensus thing, then, or? By consensus or uh, by coercion or by yeah. intimidation? I, I mean, I, I see the same thing with, uh, I mean, you get into the global warming debate. Mm-hmm. It seems to be very similar where it, it's hard to find people that are willing to stand up and say something outside of the mainstream. Yeah. There's a lot of intimidation that goes down there uh, in, in that yeah. particular debate. and those who believe that the earth, the earth is warming and that man's at fault mm-hmm. seem to have a big crowd behind them. I mean, they seem to be right. in a big group, and you kind of fall into that, you know, how could so many people be wrong kind of mindset. Right, you know, right. Especially when you're dealing with a subject that you and I didn't, we, you know, we didn't have time to go get a PhD in meteorology or right or whatever to, to understand it. We just kind of trust people who, did yes and and you know we have to keep in mind that you know god was there in the beginning and what we have in his word we can trust it's it's trustworthy what it says not only about how to be saved 
but it's trustworthy about how we got here, and it includes the time period mm-hmm. that you know it was probably in in a span. Well, I mean, I make it clear if you go to Genesis one and two and you read the creation account, I think that it's very evident God created the heavens and the earth in six literal. 24-hour days. I don't think there's there's any other way to interpret the text without reading in or introducing something yeah, and, outside yeah. of the text into it. That's just Genesis 1 and 2. You can get into Exodus 20 and um, other accounts that, that refer back to that. and it's, it's still... Exactly. And and I think that, you know, Exodus 20, 11... Talking about you, the Sabbath commandment. Yeah, you know, let's look at that just for a quick moment, because I think that that really puts to rest a lot of the other theories that are out there when talking about, okay, was it was it a day age or was it uh, you know gap? This this basically yeah, we definitely want to touch on that too. I mean, I want to kind of explain what we're we're taking a, a literal a literalist view of six day creation, you know, probably in the neighborhood of six thousand years ago. But uh, what are one of the other views we want to get to that? But let's. Did you find Exodus? Yeah, Exodus twenty. Um, in context here, iPod there. Yeah, we're <laughs> talking about the Ten Commandments, and if we go to um, verse eight, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It says in verse nine, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Okay, now if we stop there for a second and. Okay, we just take a look at, okay, on six days you shall labor. Was he talking about a portion of a day? Was he talking about a literal day, 24-hour day? Or was he talking about an, an age mm-hmm. right there in, in, in context? I think if you look at that, it's very evident. He was talking about 24-hour days. Right. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Well, yeah, I mean, for the most part, I agree with that. I mean, he, he didn't expect us to for 24 hours a day, six days a week, to be working in the fields. Well, but that's what true. what he's not saying, what you're getting at, and, I, and I'm being a little unfair here, what you're getting at is it's not, he's not telling you to work for six decades and then take a decade off. Exactly. It's Yeah, even if it's a, we'll say it's a, a portion of the day, six right, days, right. you shall labor. But now remember, he has, he's saying, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So right there, mm-hmm. that's establishing... A day out of the week. Right. Here it happens to be the Sabbath day. Mm-hmm. Right? Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Now here comes verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Mm-hmm. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So again, mm-hmm. reading that passage, you really can't come to any other conclusion than what he was talking about was a literal six, literal 24-hour day pattern. Mm-hmm. And so he's referring back to the creation week. And I, I think it's a pretty tight case right there. Well, that's what won me over, I think, ultimately. You know, I, I was telling you before we started that my first experience with Ken Ham was about a year after I got saved. And I was pretty impressed with what, what he had to say standing up at the, the conference I was attending. And I'd, I'd never really considered the creationist point of view. Uh, I certainly hadn't considered it in a, in relation to um, nature and, and evidence for it outside of scripture. But uh, scripturally, that was what did it for me was, mm-hmm. you know, was this. And so with that said about uh, my experience with Ken Ham, let's talk a little bit about some of the stuff you have, the materials you have, just different things that you probably didn't hear about in your government school science class that really seem to point to, a young earth creation uh, point of view. Yeah, you, you know, when we talk about the Word of God as our foundation, all right, for our worldview, 
you'll find that that interpretation is logical, it's moral, it's consistent with with the evidence that we see out there. Mm-hmm. Okay? And, you know, there's a lot of resources out there that, that demonstrate areas such as anthropology, astronomy, biology, geology, even paleontology. They all make sense when interpreting through the lens of Scripture. You know, how are we interpreting... What's around us? Are we interpreting that by scientists who are fallible, who have an atheistic worldview and are telling us this is what we must believe? Or are we interpreting our surroundings by what the Bible is teaching? And are we using the lens of Scripture to interpret what's there, we all have the same evidence, and it's one of the things I think that uh, Answers in Genesis does very well, is it presents the idea that, you know, when we go and we look at the rocks, when we look at uh, the, the dating techniques, when, when we look at different ways at interpreting what's around us, we, we all look at the same thing. Mm-hmm. So then... It, it becomes, okay, well, how are we interpreting? What lens are we using to interpret what's in front of us? Okay? So, you know, actually, what you find is that there's far more evidence that's out there in existence that actually points to a young Earth and a recent creation. And um, this is a great... um, great picture of this that uh, I'll just mention briefly. Let's say that um, you discover a sunken ship in in the ocean, and you go down and scuba dive, and you find this treasure chest of gold coins, okay? And you're trying to determine, when did this ship sink, okay? So you're going through, and you got all these gold coins. You bring them up, and you start to examine them. Okay, and you find one that says uh, 1740. Okay, and you're thinking, wow, that's uh, the most recent coin. That that must be when it you know sank. Okay, or or near that point. Well, let's say you're going through then some more coins that you find, and this one says, you know, 1850. Okay, well, the 1850 actually is a more recent coin, right? Mm-hmm. When we look back. And that would actually, the ship couldn't sink before then, right? right? So it's, it's by, we have to, to, to date this ship sinking by the most recent coin. Mm-hmm. Okay, now in a, in, a, in a similar fashion, there's many ways to determine the, the date of things. Okay, and, you know, if you look at... Um, Oh, for instance, uh, how much salt is in the ocean, okay? Mm-hmm. You can extrapolate back. We can, we can determine, okay, how much salt is in the ocean, what's the concentrate, what is the rate at which it's, it's becoming saltier, right? Mm-hmm. And then we can, based on that rate, then extrapolate back and try to determine a point in time when it first started to sure. get salty. And, and it gets salty because you've got, you know, rivers and streams that, that all end up in this one in the body ocean, right? yeah. of water. You know, the Dead Sea is a great example there. Mm-hmm. Water goes in. Doesn't come out. Doesn't come out. Yep. Yeah. Um, but there's all these different dating techniques. You could you, you could talk about uh, the Earth's magnetic field. It's, it's actually it's, getting weaker. Right. Right. You can talk about all these things. They, they point to a, a young Earth and a recent creation but see, people don't really want to talk about that. They'll just point to maybe radiometric or radiocarbon dating techniques mm-hmm. and just say, well, scientists have, have proven that, that these, are, these are correct. Yeah. And uh, you pretty much well, don't talk about coin. anything else. It's just an older coin. Then. It's just an older coin, exactly. Well, this is where I get frustrated with the uh, what I, I would see as the dishonesty of the opposing point of view. In that, as a creationist in this day and age, 
we have explanations for these things when you see things like like you just described the the saltiness of the earth or the magnetic field and how it's getting weaker um you know we can look at that and through our lens we can explain that and then if somebody from an opposing point of view comes with like you said radiocarbon dating or you know something that that points to an old earth the creationist doesn't just blow it off and say, well, it doesn't fit in my worldview, I'm not going to address it. That's correct, yeah. He's going to go out and he's going to find a, a way to explain it within his framework. Whereas the other side doesn't do that. I mean, they, they'll they present their evidence, but when you challenge them with something that runs up against their worldview and doesn't support their worldview, rather than di- diving in and doing the work and trying to explain that and getting it to fit in their worldview they just kind of ignore it it just kind of goes away right you know that's why every time i've mentioned this thus far i always describe it as the things that you didn't learn in your government school science class because they're just not going to talk about the saltiness of the ocean right and they're not going to talk about the earth's magnetic field yeah weaker and those are those are just you know, I mean, two very small examples. Right. Um, I, I think that what we need to, you know, really understand is that, you know, I think as mentioned earlier, uh, we're not against science or, you know, valid right. equations and, right. and things like that. And when we talk about radiocarbon dating, which is, you know, really dating things that were once alive, mm-hmm. and, you know, radio radiometric dating is, is dating things that are inorganic okay like rocks like lava rocks things mm-hmm. like that what we have to understand are the assumptions that goes into the calculations right okay that's where we have issue is because you have to pretty much guess or make an assumption and put that data into the equation to come up with the result that mm-hmm. that they do mm-hmm. okay and, you know, if we look at um, radiocarbon dating, for instance, it's looking at a ratio of carbon-12, carbon-14 atoms, okay? And I won't go into great detail on this, but basically when a living creature dies, okay, it stops um, absorbing uh, these carbon atoms, okay? And what the scientist has to do is is basically say that through all time the ratio of carbon atoms has always been the same since the beginning that's Mm -hmm. the assumption okay Mm -hmm. and according to the bible see here's here's where a biblical worldview comes into focus is that if there was a worldwide cataclysmic flood this would very much disrupt the amount of carbon atoms in the atmosphere. And guess what it would do? It would actually lessen the amount, and such the equations would actually read out that this is very old, when in actuality the assumption that was put in never accounted for a worldwide flood into the calculation. It just assumes that what we see today is all that's ever been. Mm-hmm. What do you call it? Uh, uniformitarianism? That's correct. It's it's a principle that's called uniformitarianism. And what it basically says is that the rates and processes that we observe today have always been the same through time past. And that's a major assumption. It's a major assumption, yep. And they use the same thing um, in radiometric dating techniques, mm-hmm. where, you know, I like to use a very simple story because radiometric dating can get quite complicated. I like to just break it down, very, very simple story. Let's say a guy was peeling potatoes in mm-hmm. a room, okay? He's by himself. He's got a bag of unpeeled potatoes. He's got another bucket over here of peeled potatoes. He's got a wastebasket. There's a clock on the wall. Well, say someone walks into the room, and he's observing this guy peeling potatoes, and as he's doing this, he can probably look at the peeled, unpeeled, the clock on the wall, extrapolate back, okay, I know this guy probably started 
peeling potatoes at such and such a time, mm-hmm. right? Now, what he didn't see, let's say before he came into the room, someone else came in and gave him more potatoes, mm-hmm. or someone else took his peeled potatoes away, or maybe the janitor came in the room and took his wastebasket and emptied it. Mm-hmm. Okay, all these things happened before the observer came into the room and very much then affect that person's calculations. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's basically, you know, the, the person that walked in the room, all of his calculations that he's doing are spot on. Mm-hmm. It, they're sound scientific calculations that enable him to determine when he started. But guess what? He didn't know that some of these pieces were added to or were taken away from over time. And and that's what we see in radiometric dating techniques. Again, if there was a worldwide cataclysmic flood, that would greatly disrupt what we see in our geologic formations around the world mm-hmm. and the calculations. I was first confronted with this stuff when I was kind of nearing the end of my college career. And uh, the analogy I came up with, it's it's kind of similar to your potato peeling analogy, but I went to college in Fargo, North Dakota, and I'm from the Minneapolis, Minnesota area, Twin Cities metro area. And I lived about 230 miles from college, roughly. I'd go home uh, every so often on a weekend. I'd go home and visit my family. Now, my parents would not be there with me while I'm driving home. They would, uh, they'd know I was coming and they'd eventually they'd see me pulling into the driveway. And as I'm pulling into the driveway, I'm probably going about 20 miles an hour. Now, knowing that I was going 20 miles an hour when I pulled into the driveway and knowing that it was 230 miles, they'd figure, well, that took you probably about 11 and a half hours to get here. Well, it didn't take me 11 and a half hours to drive <laughs> from Fargo, North Dakota to, yes. to, to the Twin Cities in Minnesota. It was more like three and a half hours because I drove, for the most part, I drove about 75 miles an hour. It was just yes. that last little, that last block or two that I would drive 20 miles an hour. Yes. Now they, going back to your analogy of the magician, mm-hmm. they have enough experience in their life. They understand that I was driving 75 miles an hour. So they right. would not come to that conclusion. That's correct. But. You know, if you tell my four-year-old son now that if I were to go visit his mm. aunt and uncle in Fargo and come back and he sees me going 20 miles an hour and you did a little math and kind of explain how math worked, he might think that it took me 11 and a half hours to drive home. It's like your magician thought that, or your your child thought the magician actually made the, the yes. system disappear. But it's it's really, I, I think, a, a good way to explain uniformitarianism and what it is and why it's flawed. Yes, it's, it's something that uh, we have to be aware of when we're confronted with these uh, long ages and someone says, um, well, we know these things authoritatively. We need to understand a little bit about uh, what, what went into those uh, calculations. And, you know, it's interesting, um, a real work example, I had been told a, a certain rating on some equipment at work, and I've always accepted those claims about this equipment. Mm-hmm. And and you work in sales. Yeah, I work. Yeah, I work as a sales engineer. Mm-hmm. And uh, this question came up about a, a rating. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, I had to respond with a uh, very um, concise and obviously truthful answer. And I wanted to be sure that what I was told was according to the facts. Mm-hmm. Because up until that point, it was only what I had heard. Mm-hmm. So I began digging into, okay, what are the facts about this rating? And it turned out that uh, I'd been told the wrong thing. <laughs> and um, so had a couple other people. And I kind of had to say, um, well, this is actually according to you know this, this source. And w- when you dig into it just a little bit, you, you find out the truth. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we can you know make that... Uh, same claim that if we just dig a little, doesn't take much, we'll, we'll find out what, what the truth is about dating techniques. Mm-hmm. Well, we're, uh, I'm going to guess roughly 55 minutes. 
So uh, I think we're and we're getting kind of late. I think we <laughs> we sat and chatted for quite a while before we got started. So getting to a late night. I think you can hear it in our voices. Probably talking slow and <laughs> and whatnot. But uh, so I I want to thank you a lot for taking the time to come in and just chat with me on this. I think it's an interesting topic, and I enjoyed your Sunday school, and uh, definitely gonna want to recommend it. I mean, we just kind of touched on some of the high points of what you discussed in that. And we didn't follow it. A lot of times I'll do an interview, especially my more formal interviews with people that I don't personally know. I, you know, I'll take their materials and, and develop an outline and, and pretty much go bullet point by bullet point in, in the thing. And we didn't quite do that tonight. So uh, don't be afraid if you're listening to this to, to, to go to the website and um, find the links for that. It'll be at echozoe.com and, this is uh, episode number 40, so echozoe.com slash 40. And uh, you'll find show notes and uh, additional resources. Uh, we had a couple scriptures mentioned in there, so I'll probably, as I'm editing, I will uh, write down those scripture references, and so you can look that up too. And, but um, I, I just want to leave it leave it open in closing. Uh, is there if there's anything else you want to touch on before we wrap it up? Well, you know, it feels like we've only scratched the surface of what we it could really talk does. about. So I hope some of your listeners will go and check out the links that you put on your website mm-hmm. and uh, maybe, you know, we'll, listen to these in their entirety. Yeah, and we'll link to the article that you brought with uh, by Ken Ham. We'll definitely put the link to that. And and um, between now and the time it gets posted, we'll have a little bit of time. I'll, I'll find some more resources to kind of talk more in depth by, about that which we talked about today. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you can find more information and uh, something I've enjoyed doing in the last uh, yeah, four, five, six months is, is uh, putting more effort into those show notes. So if you've just been getting this show through iTunes or your RSS reader and it's just kind of delivered to your computer or your phone or whatever you used to listen and you don't get to the site much, um, check it out. I really put a lot of effort into it and I, and I think that, um, worth looking at that uh, especially if you want to share this with somebody else um, you know, i do do it for a couple reasons one is to, to really help you as a listener if you enjoy it to get a little more in depth and kind of send you off here's where you can learn more i also do it for google i think that uh, google can't it can't crawl through a podcast and hit keywords and, and whatnot so i gotta do show notes to make google happy but uh we will have that stuff there, and um, like I said, we just scratch the surface. I think we, I, I kind of figured on getting into things that we didn't have time to get into. Mm-hmm. And so um, I apologize if there were things that I kind of built up that we didn't get to. But um, if they weren't in, in the uh, episode here, they probably will be in the, in the Sunday school that Robert did. Yeah. Andy, I just appreciate the uh, opportunity to talk. Uh, yeah, on the I, podcast. It's like I said, it's always fun to do it with a friend, and and you and I have never done one before, and um, so I thank you for being my guest, and it's been a pleasure, and I hope that we can do more. You've got a lot of good stuff. You did this on Sunday school. You've had other Sunday schools that you've done that, mm-hmm. that are, have been really good too, and you're uh, a contender now for elder at our church, and so, and I think that the work you've done in Sunday schools and in your evangelism has has uh, reflected why the church would consider you for elder and find you qualified. And so I, I I thank you for for being here. I thank you for the the work you put into to this and and your efforts at church and uh, just for laboring for the Lord. Well, thank you for having me, Andy. I really I appreciate it. And I, I like I said, I would love to have you back sometime because you've done some other subjects that I find really interesting and would love to talk about. So. I look forward to it. I yeah. think that'd be fun. Yeah. Well, that wraps up episode 40. Thanks for listening. Again, check out echozoe.com slash 40 for an outline of this episode, list of links, scripture references, additional resources, and how to find Echo Zoe on Facebook and Twitter, and how to find my personal profile on Google+, as well as how to sign up for the email list, which will alert you when new episodes are posted. Thanks for listening, and Lord willing, I'll be back with episode 41 and a new baby boy in September.